0: I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Ms. Rachel Nelson. Rachel is the president for Exan, a Henry Schein company. She has worked within the dental school industry to find ways to improve patient care through technology, products, and services. In 2012, Henry Schein acquired XDAN. At that time, she helped grow Exan into the leader in dental school software with approximately 90% market share in the United States. She's been in the industry for the past 18 years. She has a bachelor's degree in business with a focus on entrepreneurial management. Rachel has served on the following boards, Consortium for Oral Health and Research Initiative, the Harvard Initiative, Arizona School of Dentistry and Oral Health Advisory Board, Mission Possible Fundraising Board, Project Accessible Oral Health Communication Chair, and Executive Sponsor, Henry Shines Women Leadership Network. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Ms. Rachel Nelson. Rachel, it is so exciting to have you on the show today. I've been looking forward to this for a couple weeks now because I I know your story, but I am really excited to share your story with the audience because you're one of the first female CEOs of a company I've ever met, and I couldn't be prouder of your your rise to this position, and um, I can't wait for you to tell. So without any further ado, please go ahead and, and tell the audience your story.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you, MJ. It's great to be here, and I've so appreciated your podcast and getting to listen to uh, to what everyone else has been saying as well, and it's actually been quite inspiring. So my name is Rachel Nelson. I'm a president of Exan, and we are a subsidiary of Henry Schein. Um, so that's our parent company, and I've been president of the company for about two years, but I've been actually with the company for the last 18 years. I've been on a bit of an interesting journey, as as you know, MJ, um, just around how we kind of got there. So I guess, unlike most of those that I think will be listening, I stumbled into dentistry. I did not choose dentistry. I um, had a marketing background, I was fresh out of school and needed to get a job. So my dad owned a software company, I thought here's an easy in and I I applied for a job and kind of came in as a a sales administrator, executive assistant sort of thing, not to my father, but to somebody else in the business. And about a year in, I had this opportunity with one of our trainers got sick, which was quite unfortunate, but fortunate for me because I switched into a training role for this product called Axiom. And for those that don't know, Axiom is a clinical record that's being used across many of the dental schools. In fact, most of the dental schools in the US today and within Canada. Um, and so I kind of got to work with this team. And at this point in time, we were building out this software, and I got to go on site and, and work with dental schools. And I think historically, I've always been a very like purpose driven person that was passionate about healthcare and doing something that's significant and matters. And I, I fell in love with this industry because all of a sudden I was going to these dental schools and I realized that it really is something special that when you work in healthcare, but then particularly you're working with people that traditionally can't afford healthcare. And I think my eyes were just really blown open to to the need and access to care and really to getting to work with students that have all of this passion and love for, for healthcare. Um, so I just found it incredibly inspiring. I early on was really moved by the connection of oral care to overall care, which seems to be something that we're getting more attention to. But at that point in time, you know, 15 years ago it was lost. Um, and this idea that dentists really can be that that first touch point of of looking for oral cancer and other diseases and and your mouth be really being a window to your overall health. And and I thought that was just absolutely fascinating. Um, And then I also thought it was really interesting how technology can play in that. So I think good technology should make your life better. Um, It should make um, you more aware to what your patient's needs are and how to offer better patient care. And protect them and protect them. Yeah, absolutely. And so I did that for about eight years. At the same time, as does most things in life, I met a lovely person. We got married. My husband and I have two children. Um, And he had requested that I come home a little more often than I was when I was uh, training and consulting. So I decided to start into management. So at this point in time now, I'm in management at my dad's company. I was manager of the sales team. And I would say my career has always grown Not because I'm um, necessarily career driven in the fact that I need the next position. It's probably more that I'm always curious. And I always kind of think like, well, that looks interesting. I think I could do that. Um, And I'm the first person that kind of raises my hand. And I think I like mess. I kind of like things that are broken because then you have a bit of freedom to try something new. Oh, yeah. Great Insight. Great insight. And, and I've noticed that even like it just in a lot of other areas of my life that I typically like things that are a bit disorganized and a bit confusing. I like complex people as well. I'm just kind of attracted to those sort of things because I like to play around with that. And I think it's kind of fun to see, see what you get. So went into the management track and an interesting point actually was my dad, meanwhile, was uh, started talking to Henry Schein and unlike maybe traditional, maybe what you would imagine in traditional family dynamic, I was completely caught off guard. I found out a couple weeks and I was a senior leader at the company that he was selling the company to Henry Schein. Um, So I only found out just before the rest of the senior leadership team. Um, And I was just heartbroken. I, I thought at this point in time, I think I had given about 13 years to the company. I was a senior leader. I really didn't know who I was outside of the company. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to work for Henry Shine. And it was interesting because at the same time I was having kids. So in Canada, you get a bit of a mat leave, which is kind of nice. Um, so I took my maternity leave to really think through like, what do I want to do? And I was running the sales and marketing team. I did not know if I wanted to go back. I really didn't know what I thought about Henry Shine, And I was really conflicted over like, how can my dad sell the company? hindsight, there was things I didn't know that were going on, which, you know, why he, why he sold the company. And, and I definitely think it was the best decision, both for him personally, but also actually for the company. But at the time you don't see that. And so, um, I got a phone call from Stan Bergman, who's a, the CEO of Henry Shine, And we had had a dinner and I was still humming and hawing on like my long-term viability at the company. And he he said, I would like you to come to New York and I would like you to take your husband. I would like to meet with you and your husband. And I kind of thought, well, that's kind of weird, but I thought a trip to New York would be fun. So I, I went to New York mm-hmm. and he invited me to a dinner and really at the dinner, he just kind of told me about who he is and about who the company is. And part of the reason why they wanted the business was their commitment to the dental school industry, but also because they said, we feel a lot of potential in you um, and we want to grow you as a leader. Oh my God. What a wonderful thing. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is like at this point now in my life, I just think the world of Sam Bergman at the time, I really didn't know enough to be as enamored as I would be now. Like, I think if he was to say those things today, I would have just been like, Oh my gosh. At the time I was like, okay, all right, well I'll try. Um, and now I think he's just absolutely fantastic. Um, so, you know, he, he made a, a kind of a, uh, a, I wouldn't say a promise, but we had a dialogue about it. And, and so I think it was the first time that I thought, well, this is a different business. And he had promised me that they care about our customer as much as I care. And I thought, there's no way. There's no way you could care as much as I do. As a privately held company, a big company can't. Um, and he said, and I'll care about your staff as much as you do. And I thought that can't be true either. Um, and he said, and I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. And I thought that can't be true. And it, it's been amazing. So we've now been an acquisition of Henry Schein for the last eight years, and it's hands down true. He, I, my career has exponentially grown. Um, they have mentored me. They have put me through leadership training. They have guided but not directed any decision within the company. Um, and so about two years ago, I got another phone call from Stan saying, I want you to come out for coffee. this time without my husband. Uh, But he had said, you know, we know that your father's gonna retire and we would like you to look at taking on this role and would you consider applying if we were to do a search? And yeah, again, just like totally shocked. I would never have put on my resume that I wanted to do it but he just kind of continued to say like, I see something in you, I see something in you that's bigger than your company even and just about the industry and and I really want to journey with like, we want you to do this and, and would you be open to it? Um, And so I came back and thought about it and I talked to my husband about it and I talked to my dad about it because there's a bit of an awkwardness as well there. Um, But yeah, it just, it ended up kind of happening in December of 2018. Um, So I thought 2019 would be the hardest year being my first year. I was wrong. 2020 is significantly worse. (laughs) We're still smiling. Totally agree with you on that one. So that's a little bit. I, I I don't know. That's a bit of my story of of how I got here. It's definitely hasn't been planned, but I think the interesting things happen unplanned. You know, I couldn't
0: agree with you more. And 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 I want to go into a little bit about what it's like to transition from a family owned business to a large conglomerate. And I mean, you know, so Henry, I call it Sullivan Shine because that's what it was when I started. But Henry Shine has been around for a really long time. And, you know, there's set set cultures in place already. And, you know, the way they do things is, is set. So what is it like to transition from one to the other? And culture-wise, was
1: it a good fit? So culture-wise, definitely. Um, and I think those initial values that Stan had talked to me about in the early days have turned out to be true. I think if that wasn't true, we would not, it would never have worked. I, it was a change though. As a privately held company, you have really no accountability, right? Like you're accountable to your customers and to your team. But there is zero accountability of if you have a bad year, if you have a good year, it, it doesn't really matter because it's the owner's money to some degree. And I would say we were fortunate because under Ted DeVries, my father, he was always fairly physically conservative. So we've never, like as a company culture, we never overspent and then had to do layoffs. Or we, like, we were always a very, very stable conservative business, which I think financially um, helped us transitioning to Henry Schein because they're also actually quite a financially conservative business. We don't go and spend a ton of money, but we actually don't do layoffs and we don't do those sort of things that you would specifically in the software business see a lot more often. I think the scale is something that's taken a while to get used to in terms of, you know, you're used to, I make a decision, I just implement it. Depending on the type of decision I now want to make, I have the authority to make a lot of decisions, but you typically, culturally speaking, you run it through a lot of channels. And that's an interesting thing of like, oh, so... Who should I be talking to about this? Or and and that's that's kind of funny. I also think working in the dental school industry is funny because they all seem to know Stan, and so any problem that happens with my business is on a phone call to Stan. So <laughs> that's always kind of the the interesting part of knowing that I'm like, oh, if I do something wrong, someone is going, going right to... to the top. <laughs> They're gonna go straight to the top. Um, so we do our best to limit that sort of thing. But um no overall it's been really good it's a challenge, a unique challenge i would say in light of kind of actually of the pod, this podcast and some of our topics is i went from a very diverse leadership so at xn we've predominantly seen 50-50 women male in almost every layer of management staffing in total were about 50-50 certain divisions have more men than women or women than men but it's predominantly 50-50 and we're located in Vancouver, British Columbia. So incredibly diverse cultural background of all of our staff. For the longest time, we had only one white male in my leadership of like 10. So that, that has been a bit of a challenge going through Henry Shine, where it is actually predominantly a bit more of a male-oriented business. The cool thing has been watching the cultural shift over the last 10 years from an executive level really trying to bring awareness. And I think to some degree, like that's worked to my advantage of really trying to say, we want to empower female leaders. We want to encourage diversity around the table. Um, and, and how are we going to do that? Um, and so we've there's been quite a few initiatives, but that was a unique aspect of often, you know, being the only female around the table, nevertheless, half the age of anyone else that's around the table. Um, so that was that was kind of interesting at the beginning.
0: Well, any obstacles that you confronted, you know, making that transition? Because it sounds like it might be a bumpy road. You know, I we all know what it's like to enter, especially in this profession, a, an all male or all old head white guy group of men that have been around the field for a long time. And, you know, it's I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, I'm just making a statement that that's been this industry for a very, very long time. So, any obstacles that you've
1: had to, that you've encountered? Not obstacles for me personally. I have felt that my my contribution has been incredibly, it's been well received and it's valued. I think my background. So, obviously, I, I had a, a dad who was very involved and encouraged me to have a you know a bit of a bigger personality and to to be ambitious. I also had three brothers and I have a sister as well. So I always say like, I I'm pretty aggressive and in your face. Cause I had three brothers. I, I love a good debate. I love a bordering on fight as long as we keep it respectful. I like, I love that sort of thing. Um, so I think that personality does okay in a male dominated industry. The part that I have found interesting is working with actually a lot of the other women in the business and them kind of saying to me, how, do, how does everyone know who you are? Like, how, how do you seem to get to have these meetings and you you're sitting around the table and I can't even get an invite and having those conversations and, and kind of saying like, this is what's worked for me. And, and at times it's, it's not necessarily fair, but it, it is the way, you know, like, I think you need to speak up. You, if you want to sit around the table, you've got to make sure that what you're saying adds value. If you say nothing the entire meeting, the next time you might not get an invite because they just forgot. Um, I don't think it's right, but I think it's just the reality. And so I have found that I have a lot more conversations with other women that have kind of noticed. And I've felt that, and again, it's been well-received, so I'm grateful for that. But I will speak up and say, you know, I think so-and-so should sit here too. Or I think this person, I know they have knowledge on this area. Can we include them? I um, mean there are people that you know I think have in every aspect can sound on their own um but maybe haven't because they're just not as loud as I am having a seat. So I think that's that's important information to pass on
0: to the audience because you know two things it reminds me of uh Cheryl Sandberg's book, of course, you know, um Lean in. Yeah, lean in. <laughs> lean in. <laughs> So, you know, it's it's if you're not sitting at the table and you don't open your mouth, you have nothing to complain about. Now, obviously, you need to study your topic, right? So, whatever the meeting is going to be, whatever, I'm sure you're well prepared ahead of time, and I always thought about things that that would might bring value, right? how can you bring value to the conversation? How can you bring value to the project? Whatever it is that you're working on. I mean, we both have worked outside of, of academia, outside of, of, I have worked outside in, in, in outside in private practice, but in addition have worked in the industry. So when I would go to these meetings, if an idea came to me because of something somebody said, I would always raise my hand. And so very similar to you, a personality wise, i I never would sit in the I was never a wallflower. can't be. i, I that's not my <laughs> personality. I'm not a wallflower. Um, but I, I do think it's important. I think too many women are timid and you know, they don't think that they're good enough. They don't think that they will contribute. Yes, just open your mouth,
1: you know? Well, and I would say, there's a starting point because I, I 100% felt like I fell into that category where we, I call it imposter syndrome, where I just feel like secretly no one knows that I don't know anything. Like that's deep down, if you were to hear my mind, like even, you know, being invited to the podcast, like, what's she going to ask me? What if it comes out that I don't know anything? Um, you know, like, and I think as women, we were more predisposed to doing that. I would argue most people are smarter than they give themselves credit for. Absolutely. I, the worst thing that can happen is, is maybe a common knowledge fact. I think if you never speak up, a good starting place is to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Very good advice. Excellent. You know, and at least you're going to encourage dialogue and maybe you have nothing of value to add, but there'll be a conversation that took place that no one else thought to have. Uh, so that's a starting place. And it makes them remember you. Exactly. Cause that's half the battle It's just You know, I think in any industry, there's the five key players and they're always invited to everything. And then there's these spackling of other people that get invited. Um, And it's really hard when you're not one of the five. And so I I think a starting place is asking really good questions if you don't know what you're talking about. And then the other part is like, you have to be good at what you do. So I think there's a huge amount of effort that like my expectation for everybody is that like, that you're doing your research, show up prepared, generally know what we're talking about and that's everybody everybody needs to do that and I think once you get used to hearing your own voice you'll have more confidence to say things that you don't know you know like and a lot of times I, I will pose a thought and then kind of trail it into a question because I don't I'm not fully confident like I don't have a formed thought it's just like I have an idea has anyone thought about and then insert my comments so that it's a bit of a safer space to talk about it yeah Unbelievable. Great advice. So
0: in dentistry, who inspires you? Is there anybody in the field that really
1: inspires you? Lots of people. Um, I think one of the nice things about academia, I'm always, actually, I'm really inspired by textbook, like just very intelligent people. It probably ties to my own insecurity because I think I have very strong EQ skills I have quite strong strategic skills. I don't have phenomenally strong textbook skills. So people that are like textbook smart, I'm always like, I need you around. Like, I, I want to know what you know, because you just know things. Um, and in academia, there's loads of people like that. So lots of people inspire me. Um, one of the first people actually from the industry is someone named Dr. Denise Stewart. I don't know how well you know her. Yeah. And Early on, I got to work with her at OHSU and I just think, I love the way her mind worked and just connecting patient care with outcomes and understanding this like overarching, like we, we want to do that's right for the student and what's right for patients and, and just a heart to do it. And, and she has a bit more of, I think, um, I think she's incredibly intelligent, um, but just a bit of a softer approach actually. And then she can fight, like she's got some chutzpah. But she also is very methodical and will teach you and coach you through it. And so she's one of the first people in the industry. Another industry player in that as uh, from the business side is, I don't know if you know Steve Kess. Oh, I know him. Yes, I know the name. And he is a, a, a thoroughbred New Yorker, um, works at Henry Schein, is connected to a lot of the schools. And he is probably the first first person that you know he was my mentor and I was complaining about something and it was like just truly complaining like I just this is hard people aren't nice and what did he do tell you to grow up Rachel he just told me it sounds like you don't want to do things that are hard so maybe this job isn't right for you there you go and and then the best part was We had flown in to a location together and, and that was his comment. And then he says, well, this is your stop. You need to get out of the taxi. And I just was like, I can't, that can't be the last thing we say to each other. I love
0: it. I love it.
1: He left and I called my husband saying, I think I might get fired. Like I just made a huge mistake (laughs) and I didn't. And I pulled up my socks and thought we can do hard things. Let's do this. Um, so there's, there's been quite a few people on both the industry side and the business side that have, but I, I typically like big personalities. I love people that are passionate. I love what you're doing with the podcast. I like, there's just a lot of, I think anytime people get excited about doing something to make something better, to make a difference, I, I equally get as inspired by. So,
0: you know, I, I will tell you that that was probably the best thing that anybody could do for a personality like ours is just, just cut you off at the, at, the, at the feet, right? And say, okay, we're done. You don't want to do it? Fine, see ya. And now you probably work 15 times harder to make sure that you never complain again and that you stay on task. <laughs> oh my God, this guy knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, it was so funny. I think we met him. Um, weren't, didn't we run into each other in Washington, D.C.? Wasn't that him that was with you and you introduced me? Remember, we ran into each other having breakfast of, of all places. I think it was the Weston. That's So, yes, now I know exactly who it is, and it bet, totally fits his personality. It's perfect.
1: Yes. But so, yeah, so he's end up, you know, we've now worked together for another five years, and he's actually been one of my favorite mentor is just in that way, because he has no problem. He's like, you're confident. You're fine. You're totally fine. He can tell me exactly. Like you said, get over it, right?
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. What is the single best piece of advice that you've gotten in your career? Is there one? There may be many. I'm sure there's many.
1: I think the one that I've played over and over again, and I think, especially as a woman, it's not personal. I think it's so easy that when someone overlooks us, when someone is rude to us, when someone ignores us, we are quick to think it's me. Oh, they, they don't like me. They think this about me. I'm not good enough. Um, as opposed to being like, the reality is they probably just didn't think about you. Um, and, and I think sometimes the we take things really personally when they shouldn't be. Um, a lot of times people are just doing the best with what they have and they've got a lot going on too. And it's, it's your job to fix. If you're not unhappy about it, fix it yourself. That's right. That's right. You no, know, so many people, yeah, we, we can be victims to ourselves or we can be our own heroes. And I think it's your responsibility to be your own hero. Oh, uh, without a doubt. Now you appear to me to
0: be an extremely confident woman. Now, some of us are born with that. Some of us are not. Now I am, I've always said in this podcast and many times that I was not born with it. I learned it along the way. Now, obviously I truly am confident at this point in my career, but I'm much older, right? So were you confident from a, a young girl or is that something that you've gained over
1: time? Hmm. I, you know, the funny thing is I, I, I thought of this, this whole topic yesterday. I think that because I had a very positive, safe, stable childhood, I think there's a level of confidence that I've always had in the fact that my parents always believed in me. And I remember I never thought of limits. Like I I thought I could be whatever I wanted to be. I thought I could marry whoever I wanted to marry. I just really believed that at a young age. I don't know if, I don't think there's many people that can say they're just confident. Um, I would say that I struggled a lot with young children in the workplace. How do you be a good mom? when you travel how do you be a good mom when you're also balancing trying to get to work and what do you do when your kids are sick so I think no I I don't think I'm naturally a confident person in that aspect like I think I, I question my all the time decisions I make and then that's still true today um I don't think I question who I am as much I do question my decisions and whether I should do the right thing or the wrong thing or if I'm what I'm doing, but I don't necessarily question who I am. And maybe that like the, the idea of I'm good enough as I am, that confidence has grown over the years. I would still say I'm, I'm grappling in confidence on different aspects. And I
0: think we all do, right? And and there's things that we we know are our strengths and, we, and things that we know And secretly hope nobody else knows that our weaknesses, right? And protecting those and letting, making sure that nobody else finds out what our weaknesses are is, is something that consumes some women. You know, I think that a lot of times if you get to the point where you, you can say, you know, that is not my strength. I will need help with that because, you you know, I need to acknowledge that that's not my strength because I want people to know at this point you know, in my career that I'll need support with that. But if you want me to do that, I'm happy to do it, but I'm going to need some support because I know it's not my strength.
1: Well, and I think that there's, you know, my mom used to always tell me this and it turns out she knew something like, well, she knew a lot, (laughs) but this one thing was around you are who you surround yourself with. And, and I think in my early twenties, I was in a bit of an unhealthy relationship and I had some unhealthy friends and and I I actually went to counseling and when I was in my early 20s around just like, I don't know how to not surround myself with these people. And then from that point forward, kind of just actually being quite selective of who's in my inner circle. Because who you surround yourself with, I think just plays into so much. And, and so I think, you know, when you look at building a team and whether you're building your own private practice or whether you're, you know, building your friend circle or who you marry, like those sort of decisions, the reason they're so important is they impact the way you view yourself. And do you surround yourself with people that make you better, that make you more positive? That the, Do they make you the better version of yourself? Or do you surround yourself with people that constantly second guess you, that make you feel bad, that question your judgment, that always make you kind of think, I'm not good enough. And I think that's, that aspect is a choice that a lot of people maybe don't seem to realize they're making the choice. But when they look at, write down the eight people that you see the most. How do you about yourself when you're with those eight people. I mean, it's a point for reflection. And, and so that I now very much, I'm quite guarded on the people that I want on my close team, the people that are my closest friends, my mentors, my spouse, family, you can't pick that's that, <laughs> and mine are mostly good. So we're okay there. Right.
0: Very good insights. Um, I want to go back to, you brought up earlier, the imposter syndrome and you know, we, we just talked again a little bit about, you know, second guessing yourself and continually hearing that. I, I call a mo and schmo. You know, it's that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, that thought process that keeps us guessing as to who we are instead of just relaxing in the fact of who we are. How did you know? I know I've had to overcome it, but I'm interested in hearing how you overcome those moments when you feel like you're, you don't belong. You shared a story with me earlier about the leadership. I'd love for you to share that with the audience because that was a really insightful aspect of, of you as a person today. And even though today you're a president of a major company. still having some of those thoughts and and i will say i have had them recently myself so tell me a little bit about that experience for you and and how impactful
1: it was so part of you know henry shine investing in their leaders is they they partner with something called halley which is a harvard higher ambition leadership institute and i got picked so there's like four or five people each year that get picked from the company and so I, I got to go and I'm sitting at this leadership and you get put in these small groups and I'm sitting around this table and there's four of us and sitting beside me is like, <laughs> I always love like, the chief of, chief of medicine for Lagone university. It's the VP from Herman Miller. And it's someone that's working at Harvard about childhood poverty policymaking making and I'm sitting there looking at everybody and we're supposed to be talking about, you know, who we are and what we do. And like, I couldn't even focus on the exercise because I kept just thinking like, I don't belong here. Like, I have no clue why I'm sitting with you guys. And and I laughed and and so finally it gets to my turn and I just said like, guys, I'm really sorry. Like, I have nothing to say because I don't know why I'm here when I hear about all of you. Like, you guys are all very impressive people. and. And the thing that stood out to me was one, everyone in the circle, you know, like my friend who's the chief of medicine, he said, you know, that's every med student thinks if they only knew how much we studied in school, they would never let us operate on them. You know, like, like that's the reality is we all have this kind of imposter syndrome. And when we started talking as like, even as a classroom about it, we, we really talked about like, you are your own limiting factor because I could choose to feel like I don't belong, and probably write off a whole year of learning, because deep down I just think, I don't want them to find out that I'm not very good. Or I could just say, people see something in me, so I'm here, so I'm gonna take every opportunity I have because I deserve to be here. And, and I think it, it really became actually one of the, the highlights for me in the entire year worth of leadership was just around, I have a right to be here, And there's actually something unique in me that will better everyone else if I can bring it out. And I think when I went into the leadership program, I thought they would say, put your pencils down. We're going to tell you how to be a good leader. And it actually was, there's something already in you that makes you uniquely a very good leader. And your company has already seen that. We need to help develop it. And it cannot be the same thing between each person.
0: For everyone. No, because
1: we're all very different leaders, right? Totally. And everybody, every industry, every business needs a different type of leader. And, and so that all of a sudden becomes a bit more difficult because it's not about memorizing a model. It's actually looking inward and saying, what do I have to give? And how do I want to approach people? And what what do I think I can you know, serve to the group? Right. And how do I want
0: to be portrayed by the people that I'm trying to bring up? You know, like, like how do I want to be portrayed? And, uh, you know, interesting comment from someone recently that I spoke with, you know, culture starts at the top. It really does. And, you know, how you are as a person really clearly defines how your team will act and how your team will be with one another. How you are with them is how they will be with you. And I find it really important that, that we understand those concepts from a leadership position because so, so often, even when you're running a small dental practice, you are the leader of a group of people. It
1: may only be two or three people, but you are a leader of a group of people. And well, and I, I remember in particular, you know, when I had my two sons, I really thought, can I be a leader and a mother. And I thought that they would be distractions. Like they were polar opposite things and that like you're either career focused or you're family focused and you're one or the other. And it's so interesting, you know, 10 years later, looking back and saying, I am the best version of a leader I can be because I was a mother or I am a mother because I still am. But that gave me actually a unique set of skill sets that has made me a better leader and i wish i you know because i think especially when women are thinking about having a family we do really fall into this i feel guilty i feel guilty at work i feel guilty at home i don't think i'm giving to either i'm not a very good employee and i'm not a very good mother and there's nothing further from the truth and i think if you're meant to be a mother and if you can be a mother then you will be the best mother and you'll be the best employee or leader because of it Exactly, exactly. I'm going to share a story
0: with you that I haven't shared on the podcast before, because I think it's really important. And somewhere out there in the audience, somebody needs to hear this. And so I'm kind of compelled to tell this. So when I was entering dental school, my daughter was five years old. So her first day of kindergarten and my first day of dental school were the same day. No. So Fast forward through those four years, I did not spend much time with her or much time at home. And I was feeling extremely guilty, of course. Right. So I get done with dental school. My number one focus is I want to be close by because I want to pick her up after school every day. I want to make sure that, you know, she has a safe place to go. My parents and my um, husband's parents were watching her one day. a week, picking her up after school and a friend of mine was doing it. So three days a week I worked and the rest of the time I was home. So she doesn't remember what it was like when I didn't go to school and all she remembers is mommy just always studied, right? So fast forward, um, I get my practice and I get it set up in the town that we live in because I wanted to come after school. And I can't tell you the number of times that my daughter would pick up the phone, her cell phone, because of course she had to have one because... My mom has forgotten me again. Can somebody please come and pick me up? Oh my God! I had suffered so bad with the worst guilt my entire adult life as a mother because I just kept thinking, "Oh my God! I am the worst mother in the whole world." Because you know, you get involved in a, a procedure, whatever, whatever it was. Right? Fast forward it today and you know as a 31 year old mother herself she has since re- she has since said you know mom you made me independent all of these things that you put me through were really not that bad yeah did it suck that i had to call this office every single day to get picked up after school yes but fast forward to today Quite honestly, our kids are so resilient. We are better moms doing what makes us happy than being at home full time with them. So if I could share that with anybody that needs it, I I tell that story specifically because I don't know that anybody has the, the corner market on the guilt process more than I do, because it's just horrific. And I, I think we talked about it earlier. I'm like, oh, my God, I am the worst mother. But it, it, it's, it's how you feel, right? It is how you feel. And it's fine. They grow up fine. If I can tell anybody that they grow up fine.
1: Well, and I, you know, we have, whenever I have young moms that work for me is I do one-on-ones when they come back off mat leave. And I just say, promise me this, you're going to hit a day where you say, I can't do both. You need to call me on that day because I'm going to not let you quit. And I'm going to tell you, you can do it. And you just need a little bit of space. How do we help support you? Because I think that's what, I mean, especially as women, we've been there. We know what it's like to support women doing it.
0: It's so critically important to have somebody say that to them. So as as a woman leader, if you're leading your practice and there are young women in your group practice, or you know, even in if you are that woman, you know, go to your 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 boss and say, gosh, I just need some time. You know, this it is hard. Being a mom and being a, a rock star, you know, leader is hard. And, and, you know, we can't do everything 100% perfect every single day. We can't. None of us are. So we got to figure out how to manage and balance it all.
1: You know, and I was actually at a, a board meeting and there was another company talking to us about in, what in, in Switzerland, what they were doing. And I thought it was so interesting, but they are increasing their clinical hours. But they had said that they found... That they had to change the hours so they all of their dental hygienists work on two shifts because they've now shortened the hours that it's only a six hour day 2 six hour shifts so that ah for so many because so many of their dental hygienists are women and that they rotate the days so that they have late clinics so people can do evenings because they're like that's a growing thing now Is people patients don't want to take the day off but they have a six hour shift that's during the school day so parents can go and pick up their kids And then there's an evening shift for parents that need, that are for people that want to work in the evening. And I thought like, that's so cool. That's so smart. And they just said like, we have customer, large hygienic, like their staff loyalty through it is through the roof because you work around being flexible and, and you have to manage that with the business needs too. But I think, you know, my other quote that I always say is do for one what you wish you could do for many. And I think that is- Sometimes, you know, in a bigger business, it's easy to think like, well, it's not sustainable. And I'm like, yeah, but we can be kind to one. And let's do sustainability later.
0: Exactly. What would be one thing that people would be surprised to know about you?
1: Um, I don't know. I'm an open book. So I feel like there's nothing that should surprise anybody. But uh, probably the degree to which I'm a lifelong learner. Last year, I learned, I started to take piano lessons. It's incredibly humbling um, being you know, somewhat successful in your professional life. And then starting where you know nothing. Um, My instructor is 24 years old and she teaches me and my seven-year-old son. And we're learning at about the same pace. Um, So I am, I'm currently learning the piano, which I think is, is a very interesting, fun thing to start doing.
0: So, yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Very, very cool. I'm doing my, on my bucket list is cheese making. And being a beekeeper. Oh, the beekeeper one's interesting. Are you doing it in your backyard? So I will be yes. And and the reason is there's a fascinating story behind bees. And I'll tell you to share that with you another time. But I have been extremely passionate about gardening my entire life because I, I learned that from my dad. But bees are so critically important to our environment. They are Yes. And so I, d- I do want to have honeybees in my backyard. So that's
1: on my bucket list. My neighbor has honeybees in her backyard and we like, they're not huge lots, but she has like 25,000 bees. bees. Yep. And it's amazing. The, the honey is fantastic, except for occasionally sometimes they get loose and then, but you just, get, you get a stick and you bring them right back. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, it is. And one of the things that's really important about that honey is because it's local to you. It's it's actually helps your immune system much better than buying honey off the shelf because it's so it's so full of the natural nutrients that are local to your area and your environment. So, yeah, I love the story. I love the fact that they all know their place in the hive and they all have their job, and they work collaboratively together with each other to support the queen. And that's the thing that I just love about bees, because they just work together so well. You know, I think if you think about it as an organization, you know, all of us need to be working towards the success of the entire organization, right? Because we're all pieces of that cog in the wheel. And if we do that, wouldn't it be so much more advantageous to be supportive of each other and the, the goal of the company to get the work done. Yep. Yeah, I love that story. Have you ever had an aha moment when you realized you were doing exactly what you were supposed
1: to be doing in your life? So maybe, it, I don't know if it was an aha moment, but I think in the last few years, I've recognized I no longer look for distractions. Ah, interesting. That I've been in a bad place in my life because I'm constantly looking like I'll, I'll take longer doing emails or I'll watch more TV or I'm just looking for distractions, you know, like things to take my mind off of because I'm not quite happy with what I'm doing. Um, And I think that right now I feel very much for the last, you know, two years in the right place because I never feel bored. I'm always For the most part even despite these weird times we're in now i'm i'm still optimistic and excited and interested and engaged i mean and for me i think engagement is probably the right you know i can tell when i'm disengaged because i'm enjoying my distractions way too much
0: that's a very interesting observation rachel um how did you come to that determination because i think so often we do get sucked into our phones and what we're doing and all of that and it it does act as a distraction and isn't it interesting there are times where I I barely look at my phone and then there are other times I'm looking at it constantly so maybe it is a distraction thing how how interesting that's a great observation
1: yeah no I am I'm not sure how it kind of came about but my phone has been my biggest indicator for me that I I realized you know beforehand I used to just be so bad at looking at it all the, and it wasn't like even a work thing. It was just like an everything thing. I just, I'm at home and I'd kind of be browsing Facebook and like just those sort of things. And then all of a sudden I know, oh, so I haven't really done that in a while. And, and I, a little bit also is I think when I get passionate about something, I'm willing to set up boundaries. I'm not, I'm not naturally a ridiculously disciplined person. There are people that are very disciplined. I am not. I am disciplined when I think things are important. Um, and so I can tell when my discipline goes up, it's because I'm, I have a heightened focus. I'm probably more engaged. I'm more excited. Um, and then I'll become disciplined with things like my phone and I'll set, you know, like, I think I probably still would look at my phone all the time if I had it, but I'm more prone to being like, that meeting is important. I'm not going to take my phone with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I'll be, I'll be more in tune that
0: way. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if you've seen that movie, social I have not, but I've heard about it. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it, social, social dilemma. Oh, I don't remember. I think that might, yeah, that might be it. At the of my, my daughter, who, who when I went to babysit with my grandson the, uh, a week ago, said to me, mom, he no longer is, is watching anything on YouTube. And I went, what? And she said, I I will show you what we have selected for him to be able to watch. Everything else is off off limits. I'm like, okay, what's going on? She said, there's way too much going on on social media. She said, there's way too much behind the scenes that's happening and they're targeting kids, they're targeting adults and and we have got to get it under control. So she said, I'm I'm taking and putting my phone aside. I would highly suggest you do the same mom. And I said, Oh, I guess I better go watch this. And we did. And so now it's even more, you know, what I wasn't addicted to my phone before, but I think that it is important that people realize that they, they should monitor that because that's a good gauge.
1: And I think that actually though, that actually speaking a bit to like, what skills should people work on and learn is self-awareness. I think because being able to be reflective of your own patterns and your behaviors, um, even to say like, where do I get distracted? What isn't good? And, and even for me, like I kind of believe that you have a choice. The world is selling you a story and the internet is selling you a story. Social media is selling you a story. You choose what stories you believe. But the more attention you give them, the harder it is not to believe those things. And I think we're seeing, you know, a lot of things that aren't true. Easy to to fall into that. Absolutely. How about a guilty pleasure or secret dream? Do you have any? Um, Guilty pleasure, probably, I was going to say wine, but I don't think I feel guilty about that. So I, maybe not wine. (laughs) You know what? I I think the guilty pleasure probably would be peanut butter because I am a, like a spoon in the jar person. And then when I do that, I think this probably isn't good. Like this this might be too far. Um, And then secret, dream. I'm really fascinated by politics. I don't have any desire to necessarily be a politician, but the craziness of how lobbyists work and the idea of like how we build policy and the impact of policy, I find fascinating. And I think secretly I would like to be involved in some way
0: around policy. Anytime I have read uh, rules and regulations, bunch of things from a, a state society, And I've read through two state society rules and regulations. I think, oh my gosh, these poor souls that make this stuff up. I have no idea how you survive, but I couldn't do it. But I give them a lot of credit because it's just a tedious word for word evaluation of how it can be interpreted because the same word could have two different interpretations if you put it in different places, right? Right oh so I, I give them a lot of credit
1: of the policy versus execution of it like I, I find that stuff just, again I would never want to do it but I find it very interesting and so to be a fly on the wall or have some deep insight into it
0: that's awesome well Rachel it has been my pleasure to have you on the show today some awesome things that we've passed on to the audience and you particularly were outstanding and so impressive thank you for taking the time to be with us I, I couldn't thank you more.
1: Well, it has been a lot of fun. So I thank you. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.